0: Listener supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane and we're continuing our program Foundations in Faith. Today, we're going to look at the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. This is the Gospel that the Church uses at the end of liturgical year, and it kind of, in many ways, is a transitional Gospel, for we're brought all the way up to the end of time. We're brought all the way up into the pondering and reflecting upon the goal of the whole thing, the process of the whole thing, the reason for the creation itself. And then, of course, since that has not de facto in the created order, in the created time and order of the created universe, we pause then at this end time And then we start over again and we go back and we begin now to prepare once again so that the narrative repeats itself. We come all the way through the life of Jesus from his birth all the way through his public ministry, his passion, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his, re- his appearance, post-resurrection appearances, his ascension. And then we gather together in the final parables, in the final narratives of Jesus' preaching. We gather together as much of the meaning and the significance of what that is in our lives, what we anticipate, what we expect, who we are. And then we say, but it is not yet absolutely and completely present to us. And so once again, we wait and once again, we reflect. And we begin the pilgrimage anew, then beginning with Advent and the anticipation of the nativity, and then the nativity or the manifestation of the Lord, his manifestation to the Gentiles in the Epiphany, his baptism, his public ministry, his teaching, his preaching, his miracles, And then, of course, his betrayal, his suffering, his death, and resurrection. Then the reflection in the post-resurrection stories of Jesus. And then back to the precipice once again, to the threshold, to the threshold of eternity. So this gospel, then, is the one that stands on the threshold of eternity. It takes us as far as we can go until the second coming of the Lord. And there then we ponder the meaning of it all and who it is that we follow. And that's what the gospel is about today. And so we hear that Jesus said to his disciples, when the Son of Man comes in his glory escorted by all the angels, then he will take his seat on his throne of glory. So this is now talking of the second coming, of the reappearing of Christ, of the consummation of creation, of the end of the universe, of the end of all things that are then taken into the eternal presence of the Lord. All the nations will be assembled before him and he will separate men one from another as the shepherd separates sheep from goats. And so it refers also then to the final judgment to the calling together of all those who have ever lived. And uh, then the Lord passes judgment on how they have lived their lives. It is, therefore, the massive resurrection of the dead and the massive general judgment of all who have ever lived. And he said, his place, he will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you whom my father has blessed, take your heritage, the kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, I was a stranger and you made me. Welcome. Naked and you clothed me, sick and you visited me, in prison and you came to me. Then the virtuous will say to him in reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty or give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and make you welcome naked and clothe you sick or in prison and go to see you? And the king will answer, I tell you solemnly, insofar as you did this to one of the least of my brothers of mine, you did so to me. So this is the first half of the gospel now. So what do we derive from this? What do we see in this? What we find out is that everything that proceeds to the end has purpose, meaning, and is woven into destiny. You know that there are those who, for instance, in the very early church, it was interesting, in order to escape accountability for our sins before the Lord, many, it used to be a custom, actually, um, not encouraged, but a custom, many taking the chance and gambling on baptism and taking their baptism then when they were dying so that they could be washed clean and be prepared then to meet the Creator, the King, the Lord, the Judge. Not sure, that's certainly not a very good practice. And it has nothing to do with the meaning of the Christian life. Because basically what this says is that today is incredibly important for the future, because how we live our lives in the present moment has a great deal to do with how we will live them in eternity. And this is something, I think, that the parables in the Gospel have been emphasizing now for a while, and it's something that actually is very difficult for us because we have become, as a culture, the decline of Catholicism in Europe comes about through, oftentimes through a theoretical unbelief, through kind of the sin of Eve, thinking, hey, we're smarter than God is, so let's make it up ourselves. Let's do everything ourselves and we'll figure it out. That certainly is the ethos of the German Synod. In the States, I think that there is, an, we are heavily influenced by our Protestant culture. And the Protestant culture Flows not, not so much from Lutheranism as it does from Calvinism. And basically, what, what it, they both say, however, is that we are saved by grace alone. And in saying that we are saved by grace alone, they are diminishing the importance of our daily activity. The whole idea of living a Christian life in a Calvinist syndrome. Is uh, out of obligation, not because it has anything to do with our salvation. Because if we are saved by grace alone, then it's all up to God and we can do nothing about it. That's why, for instance, when in that tradition we can talk, people talk about being saved. It means that, you know, that this final decision has already been made in the presence of their life through the power of Jesus Christ, and they for are destined to heaven no matter how what twists and turns their lives may take. But we have never believed that, we have never seen that in sacred scripture. In order to do that, Luther had to add to the New Testament by saying when Paul says we're saved by grace, which is true. Luther says we are saved by grace alone, which we say is not true. We are saved by grace because grace first initially gives us the gift of faith. Grace necessarily helps us to respond to faith. At the same time, we are engaged in a relationship with God and so there we have some part, some participation in our cooperation with grace and that it isn't that, you know, if we don't want God to save us, he, he won't save us. We have to desire it and we have to live our lives in such a way that that desire takes concrete form. So when we look at this gospel then, what we're seeing is an affirmation of Catholic doctrine. The doctrine that what we do has a direct influence on where we go and who we become in the final day, on the day of the great judgment, on the day of the final resurrection, on the day of the beginning for us of eternity. So it's it's a theological issue and an important theological issue. Well, what was happening, though, was this Calvinist attitude has influenced Christianity in the American culture. It has been the dominant Christian influence in American culture. And the result of it is, of course, that it has also um, as we, as Catholics, kind of moved out of our ghetto, out of our enclosed communities into the wider world, we have become influenced by it. And so now we find, even in the Catholic Church, many who are saying, you know, well, if God is good, if God is merciful, then he's not going to send anybody to hell. So don't worry about it. Just live your life, and when the time comes, if there is a God, he'll be good to you, and, and that'll be that. And that atmosphere is totally anti Catholic, and that atmosphere is totally contrary to today's gospel. Because what Jesus is saying today is how you behaved yourself has an influence on your eternal destiny. It's not, today is not an indifferent piece. It is not an indifferent piece of my relationship with you. It is an essential component of your own future. And in so saying that, and in so doing that, the Lord wants us to know and to understand. In treating his children, we treat him the same way. And I think this is the thing that should frighten us when it comes to issues like all of many of the social issues of the day, hating people because of their race, hating them because of, of their politics, hating them, um, the, this, the, the whole terrible ethos. War is an, a manifestation and an expression of hatred. Not that people cannot defend themselves against other people's hatred of them, but it's never right to demonize the enemy in order to motivate some kind of self-defense. What we have to understand is that we have a right to protect the gift the Lord has given us. We have a right to protect our lives and the lives of those we love and the lives of others. Um, We do not have a right simply to take the life of somebody else unless it is in self-defense. And this, of course, is what the whole just war theory is all about. It's a very, it's a more sophisticated form of national self-defense. It's a very tricky thing. We certainly um, know and can see there have been enough wars in all of our lifetimes, including those now of the young, to be able to know the fact that hatred is necessary in order to prosecute a war, and that it's the reason why war is almost always, almost always unjustifiable, because unless it is definitively the self-preservation of human life. For instance, we might say is looking back, certainly the, uh, the Nazi death camps may well have been a legitimate reason for, for us to enter war against Germany. And certainly there are other times However, if we look back over the wars of of history, we find very few that are actually justifiable, very few that are actually self-defensive, almost always they're aggressive and, and for the accruing of territory power. So that being said, there's other things as well. There's hating people within society for they're differing from us, but there is another thing. There is placing the present world above the future of saying that the world I live in today is more important than the world that is to come, and therefore my politics are more important to me than my religion. My political partisanship is more important to me than my relationship with Jesus Christ and my faith in Jesus Christ and my my belief and trust in the church. This then, we know, is also part of turning away from the future and sinking our anchors firmly into the present with no care for where that leads us and what that means for us individually. What is a basic fundamental rule of judgment? And that is, of course, the manifestation of the second part of the great commandment. Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about as he talks to to the virtuous, as he talks to those who are among his sheep, who are on his right. Whatever you did for one of these, the least of my brethren, you did for me. In other words, you cannot say, I love God and hate your neighbor. You cannot say, I love God in any way, in any way, deliberately harm your neighbor. I, I think that we have to be extremely sensitive to this. And this, when we say, you know, we talk about the end times, that the terminology is to call it eschatology. And there is a, the presence of that in the present. And certainly here it is. It's in the Christian community living out the great commandment, which in some way, shape, or form opens up and bespeaks the presence of the future that is to come. And we hear this in the gospel today. Now we go to the next, though, to those, the goats, the ones who are on his left. And he says to them, go away from me with your curse upon you, to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you never gave me food. I was thirsty and you never gave me anything to drink. I was a stranger and you never made me welcome. Naked and you never clothed me. Sick and in prison and you never visited me. And then it will be their turn to ask, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, sick, or in prison, and did not come to your help? And he will answer them, I tell you solemnly, insofar as you neglected to do this for one of the least of my brethren, you neglected to do it for me. And they will go away to eternal punishment and the virtuous to eternal life. This is the second part, then, of the lesson. And that is that not only are there good consequences to the way that we live our lives, to the fulfillment of the great commandment, but there are tragic consequences in our refusal to do so. And I think that here we, we have something very, very, very difficult that we have to, that, that we have to deal with it because this is the second part of this uh, kind of uh, anesthesia of faith in the contemporary world, oh well, the Lord is good; He'll you know He'll take care of me. That's not, of course, what the Gospel says. But what does it mean that in this angry, vicious judge is going to come forward and say, "I have judged you; I have found you wanting, and I condemn you to hell," and they're all screaming, "No, no, no! Please, not me!" Is that the scene? Is that the picture? that we have of this final part, I think much more reasonably, much greater explanation, we find in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. In loving God and our neighbor, we are actively choosing to seek eternal life and to seek a companionship in the present and in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. To refuse to honor the great commandment means that we are making other choices in our lives and that these other choices in our lives have consequences to them. This is another cultural problem that we have, the whole, the whole desire to remove consequences from personal choices. We find that certainly um, in, in the majority of cases, this is the whole abortion issue. In the majority of cases, this is also now what we have, the plague of shoplifting or the treatment. There was just someone who killed someone who this was his fifth time that he was sprung from jail. Not, because we don't want people to pay the consequences of the crimes they've committed. There is a consequence of, of viciousness and, re, and consciousness of hatred and a consciousness of revenge that has nothing to do It is the fact that it is helpful to people to experience consequences when they move away from the natural order, from the divine order of our created being. And when, in fact, we choose to say, I choose myself in the present moment and its convenience and its opportuneness over and against the love of God and the love of neighbor. And those choices, if they continue throughout the course of our lifetime, are also our final choices. And that the Lord simply honors that which we choose. It's simply, He simply lets us make a decision. He gives us the grace that we need not to end up in hell. He gives us that, and we have a choice of cooperating with it or rejecting it. If we reject it, then we have chosen not to be with him, and he honors that decision in our lives. We have to know and understand that punishment for wrongdoing should never be vindictive or vengeful. It should always be done in the best interest of the offender. And I think that this is something that we struggle with. But the idea is not to say that because we don't always do it well, we shouldn't do it at all. Not so, not so. We should be able and willing to so move in the social structures of our society that paying the price for our bad decisions should not be destructive of our life, destructive of our future, destructive of all hope that we have for being integrated into human society and living decently with our brothers and our sisters. Each case is going to be different, and when we have involved, for instance, um, pathologies, mental problems, and so forth, that's a whole different story. This has to do with those who choose in freedom choose at least in the limited freedom of the human person to reject the Lord and to turn against the neighbor. And whether that is taking the life of a child, of an adult, whether it's destroying another person's property, whether it's whatever it is, whether it's destroying a person's society, a person's safety, any of that kind of stuff, there should be consequences for that. Not because we want to punish but because it is not good for a human being to be able to experience somehow or other profit, either personally or materially or emotionally or anything, from bad behavior and from poor choices, that's kind of that's not how you love your neighbor. You love your neighbor by helping them to be open to the grace of the living God, in order that they might experience in their lived experiences, the benevolence and the goodness of divine grace and divine mercy. God can convert the most hardened of sinners, and we see this over again. There is the great iconic example of of Alexander Serenelli, the young man who killed uh, Maria Goretti, but went through, in his later life, an intense conversion and probably lived a very saintly and a very holy life. But he did not do it by saying, oh well, that didn't work, I'll go back out and do this again. He did it by accepting and dealing with the punishment that he was given for the crime that he had committed. And in that found, I think that anyone involved, for instance, in prison ministry, finds an amazing number of very holy men and women those who have and and of course some who are unrepentant also and some who uh, who can't help themselves and others who just simply choose to continue the drama to their own uh, disadvantage and to their own tragedy of their own end but many have taken the opportunity for punishment to be deeply converted in their hearts and with a deep conversion in their hearts to come into the presence of the Lord, to begin to understand and to know the meaning and the significance of the great commandment in their lives, and as they do so, to live out what the Lord has asked of them to live out in charity to their brothers and sisters, in care for their well-being, in honor of the God who made them, and in a desire to be with him in heaven. So basically... This blows out of the water the idea that there's no consequences to our behavior. Obviously, this gospel, I don't know exactly what the Calvinists do with this gospel, but certainly they would have to do a lot with it to make it not say what it actually says. And what it actually says is that what we do today has an impact on what happens to us Tomorrow. What we do today, how we live our lives in the present world, has a great impact on how we live our lives in eternity. And that God gives us the grace to be on His right. God gives us that grace. We must cooperate. That's where our freedom comes in. We must cooperate with that grace. And in cooperating with that grace, we, must, we will then also be drawn closer into the mystery of the divine and closer into the divine presence both now and in eternity. Let us exercise to the very best of our ability the practical implications of the great commandment and know that in doing so, if we do so to the very best of our ability, then we know and we have great confidence that God will draw us to himself at the end. But we cannot do nothing and we cannot be totally passive. We have to, therefore, bring into the reality of everyday life the mystery of Jesus Christ, the wonder of his grace in our lives and among us, and in so doing, prepare ourselves in order that we too, when the Lord returns, we might be willing and ready to go out to meet him and be among those whom he invites into eternal life, into his kingdom. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com.